Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. No matter how faithful we would wish to be to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are all going to have lapses in our faithfulness. We are human beings caught in the tension of being simultaneously saint and sinner. There will be days when doubts will creep into our thinking. There will be moments when fears and concerns with the worldly and the here and now will overshadow our trust in God's promises to us for eternity. It happens to me, and it happens to you. And as we heard about a short time ago in our Gospel lesson, it even happened to John the Baptist. John knew deep down in his soul exactly who Jesus was. He had even testified publicly to this. It had been revealed to him that the one on whom the Spirit would come down and rest was the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. John had confessed that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And John had called Jesus the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Imprisoned, lonely, and understandably depressed though, John has the sort of crisis of faith that you or I might experience from time to time. We wonder, is Jesus really who He says He is? We question whether or not we're on the right path and following the right Savior. There's a part of us that wants to hold back a a little bit or perhaps even a lot of ourselves. To not fully commit ourselves to this Christian life, to this work, to this church, to this God. John had his doubts. And he expresses them to Jesus through his messengers. You can almost sense the hopeful urgency in his words. Are you the one to come, or shall we look for another? John doesn't want to have to seek another. He wants the Messiah that has been revealed to him. Yet he isn't so sure that what he sees in this Savior and in this Savior's kingdom is what he expected. Maybe he figured that the Messiah would have reached out to him more and brought him out of the difficulties that he faced in this earthly life, like poverty and opposition and now even prison. You and I experience our share of doubts too, don't we? For the most part, though, we do so in relative comfort and prosperity compared to John's situation. Yet in spite of the ups and downs we might have in our personal lives and in our financial fortunes and our relationships with others, I haven't yet seen anyone show up here at St. Paul to worship dressed in a camel's hair shirt and a leather belt. You haven't been reduced to eating insects and living out in the desert either. You certainly haven't found yourself thrown into prison for preaching the Word of God and for calling out the authorities on their many and various sins. In response to John's fears and doubts, though, Jesus has an answer for John's disciples to take back to him. Look at the signs. The things that you have seen and heard are those things that were prophesied about the Messiah. The very things that I am doing, said Jesus. Tell John that the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, even the dead are brought back to life. 
What's more, the good news of the kingdom of God is being proclaimed, John. Don't get discouraged. Don't lose heart. Don't fall away because you're not seeing and you're not getting everything you thought you should in a Savior. Instead, John, adjust your expectations so they align with what God has said that the Savior would do. Once the messengers take Jesus' words back to John, the Lord has something else to say about expectations. This time He is speaking to the crowd. He reminds them of what had first attracted them to John, what had made them make this journey from their cities and their towns out into the wilderness to hear John's preaching and to receive John's baptism. John's appeal in part was the fact that he conformed to their expectations about what a prophet should be. John had been focused first and foremost with what God would have him proclaim and God would have him do. He was not swayed by the shifting winds of popular culture or worldly opinion. He was less concerned with his physical appearance, his food, his clothing, and his living arrangements than he was with the work that he had been given by God to do, the work for God's kingdom. He was even so committed to God's Word and to spreading it that he even risked imprisonment rather than compromise for earthly comfort. Speaking as this Gospel lesson does about doubts and about boldness, about expectations and about commitment, it's a rather appropriate Gospel lesson to have fall on this, our Pledge Sunday. Today, each of us is to submit our financial commitment to this body of Christ for the coming year. Now, I wish that I could claim that it was some sort of clever planning and smart coordination that this week's Bible readings are what they are, but I can't do that. This date was picked for Pledge Sunday long before I had looked at these Scripture lessons. I understand that Pledge Sunday may be a very awkward day for some of you. None of us likes to be put on the spot or painted into a corner or forced to take a stand and step up. To those who feel like that, I pose this question. If you're uncomfortable being gently encouraged here in this place, among those who love you as brothers and sisters in Christ, about something as worldly and as fleeting as your finances? What are you going to say when you're hard-pressed by people out in a hateful world about what you believe about heavenly and lasting things? For others, Pledge Sunday may be a fearful and anxious day. We all have various worldly financial obligations and needs, and we all have limited resources with which to meet them. You may have doubts and fears about the economy or about your own individual resources and incomes. This may weaken your faith in the Lord and your trust in Him providing for you, and it may make you reluctant to make a bold commitment. To those, my question would be, have you ever had to sacrifice so much for the work of God's kingdom that you were left homeless or hungry, naked or ill, Has God ever asked more of you than He has given to you? There's another group that is pretty comfortable financially, but they don't always appreciate just how it is they got there. While they might give it lip service, they really don't accept the truth that all they have comes from the generous hand of God, including the blessings of their knowledge and skills, their talents, their level of energy, and the opportunities which allowed them to accumulate the assets they have and generate the income that they produce. 
Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with being financially comfortable, of course, unless it makes you greedy or selfish or inattentive to the needs of others in the work of God's kingdom. You might be asked then, are you more interested in the fine clothes and your earthly palaces and luxuries than you are in preparing the way for the Lord? Do you understand the meaning of to those who much has been given, much will be expected? Still others among you may be resentful of the pledging process. I can almost hear the words in your mind because I've certainly heard them spoken aloud often enough. I don't want to make a pledge of my contributions and you can't make me. What amount of money I decide to give to the church is between me and God and it's nobody's business but mine. You're absolutely right. No one can make you apart from the Holy Spirit and then only if you let Him. But count up, if you will, the number of times that the words I, me, my, and mine come up in that thought. And don't think that having a personal faith in Jesus Christ means that it's also a private faith. What you believe and what you confess is intended by God to be lived out in a Christian community in which the burdens and the obligations are shared as well as the joys and the blessings and the benefits. Our Savior is a giving Savior, and we are to model ourselves after Him. We even have a small contingent of the haughty out there, too. There's a certain risk and a great, great temptation in knowing that you are among those willing to make a financial pledge, or that you're among the significant givers or the top volunteers in the congregation. You always need to be on guard against that little Pharisee inside that wants to say, Lord, I thank You that I'm not like these paltry givers or those who won't pledge or those who never serve or never volunteer or those who don't attend church as often as I do. Instead, be thankful for the realization that the Lord has given you an extra measure of faith and love. And humbly pray that others will one day be granted the same motivation and the same joy. I imagine by now I've possibly upset and probably even alienated just about everybody here. I didn't do that because I don't care what it is you think or that I think that I'm somehow in any way less of a sinner or less selfish than any of you are. And let me be clear, motivated by the Holy Spirit, some of you do pledge. And many of you do give generously and even sacrificially to the work of God through St. Paul. But really... If you aren't the least bit uncomfortable, you ought to be. I'm confident from time to time, all of us, that is, all of us, fall into one or more of those categories I just mentioned. I know that I certainly do. You see, no matter where we fall on the spectrum of our commitment to Christ, none of us is going to be the perfect giver. That's because none of us, just like John the Baptist, have a perfect and unwavering faith. If nothing else, pledging gives us a way to fight Satan's efforts to create doubts in our minds about God's love for us in Christ. Pledging helps us to put away the weekly temptation to worry whether God will provide for us or not. It puts real meaning into give us this day our daily bread. It squelches a little bit of that feeling that what we have in this world is ours and that what we would do with it is far better than what God might do with it. But pledging only helps us. 
It's not going to be a magic wand that will wave your way to a perfect faith or being a perfect giver. Only Jesus provides the full measure of obedience and love and sacrifice that perfectly meets the Father's expectations. And only our holy and loving God supplies everything that we need. He holds nothing back. Nothing at all. What marvelous and unending gifts He brings to you as well. His infallible Word and His Holy Spirit to convict us of our many sins and shortcomings, to generate repentance in us again and again, and to assure us of His love, His forgiveness, and His eternal promises. The cleansing font where we were once adopted as His own and to which we return over and over again in remembrance and thanksgiving the life-giving meal of His holy body and blood, given and shed for you once on the cross in full payment for all of your sins, but given and given and given yet again so that the blessings of His sacrificial death might be applied and received. All of these given to you so that when this world and its passing treasures melt away, you will have something that is far beyond value, everlasting life, peace and joy in the presence of your loving God. And all of this is free to you on account of your faith in Christ Jesus. No gold or silver demanded. No IRA or 401k to contribute to. No mortgage. No line of credit to pay off. It's perfectly normal for our sin-corrupted nature to be consumed by worldly concerns and even to be tempted to have doubts and fears about the eternal blessings that God has promised to us on account of our trust in the suffering and death of Jesus. These concerns and these fears can hold us back from a willingness to be fully committed to God and to the work of His kingdom. But you do have the Holy Spirit working in you, each of you, and each and every day, and even at this very moment. He will calm your fears, restore your hopes, and increase your trust that all of God's promises are completely reliable and fully yours, both now and forever. At the end, all that you've done and all that you've failed to do will be forgotten. All you've given and all that you have withheld will have passed away. Your earthly fortunes will have collapsed, faded, and long since turned to dust. It is then that our Lord will fulfill His pledge to you and to all of His people. The same pledge we heard once again this morning through the prophet Zephaniah. At that time, I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. In the name of that Lord, we now confess. Amen. Amen.